So today we'll be reading from various passages from the book of Isaiah. So we'll read from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, and verse 5 through 7. Then from chapter 11, verses 6 through 7. And then chapter 35, verses 1 through 2, and then 8 through 10. So I invite you to turn there in your Bible. Um, You can also follow along on the screen behind me. And then if you need a Bible, we have some blue Bibles in the back that you can keep as our gift to you. So once again, we'll be reading several different passages from the book of Isaiah. So we'll start in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Then 9, verses 5 through 7. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it. Next, we'll be reading from 11, verses 6 through 7. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. Now we'll be in chapter 35, verses 1 through 2. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. And then finally, we'll be in um, 35, 8 through 10. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Betsy. You may take your seats. If you were following along in a hardback version of the Bible and you kept up, you get a gold star. Uh, thanks, Betsy, for that reading. Uh, if you're new here, joining us for the first time, a warm welcome to you. My name is Steve, one of the pastors here. And we are in our second week of Advent. Uh, Advent means arrival of a notable person or event. And if you're familiar with the church calendar, the church calendar's New Year's Day, as it were, begins with the uh, the first Sunday of Advent. It's like we're in the New Year's Day period of the church calendar. And so what's noteworthy there is the church calendar doesn't begin with the, the joy of Christmas or the victory of Easter, but it begins with yearning. It begins with waiting. And historically, why the church has done this is because we're supposed to use Advent as a time to look at the pain of the world and and the longings in our hearts so that 
when Jesus comes on Christmas Day, Christmas should actually, shouldn't actually feel like Christmas until Christmas. Okay, it, actually, it actually means something. It helps us attune our aches to the person, who, the only person who can fulfill those longings that we have. And so what we're doing uh, this Advent season is we're looking at the, you could say the four primary longings of every human person, whether you count yourself a religious person or not. Uh, last week we, look, we looked at hope, and then we'll be looking at peace, joy, and love. And today we're looking at peace. Peace. So peace comes from the Hebrew word shalom. You may have heard this word before, and shalom means wholeness, but even that doesn't get at the, the full sense of the word shalom. If you're familiar with the, you know, the native Hawaiian greeting, aloha, like it means so much more than high. Like it has this deep, rich, even spiritual significance when they say it to one another. And so shalom, and this is really important as we get into this, it's Shalom is not just the absence of conflict or the bad stuff like a yoga Instagram account would portray, but it, it's the positive of all the good stuff. So for example, relational shalom is not just, I'm not going to fight with you, but it's, I'm going to actively contribute to, toward your welfare. Okay, psychological shalom. It's not just, oh, I don't feel depressed today or anxious today, but my entire being is pulsing with joy, and I have this deep-rooted sense of self. Like, my identity is very grounded. Because okay, so you kind of start to, to feel the difference. And, I mean, you don't have to look far to see this need for shalom. I mean, just the other week, I was talking with a, a guy at the, at the gym I go to, and we just got gotten to know each other, and he was sharing with me how his daughter's in a care facility because of battling self-harm. And he just looked at me, and he was like... <laughs> The world is so sad. It's so sad. And I, th- I think it was even the same week I was talking with another individual who, who just, he said, I just wish my dad would change, right, because of the damage he's creating in our home. Okay, so like we, shalom, it's, it's addressing this reality where we all know things aren't the way they're supposed to be. And so, you know, what we have to ask is, does Advent address our need for peace? Uh, what does Advent have to say about our need for peace or shalom? In fact, uh, in, in, in many circles now, it's considered even naive to think that peace on earth, you know, one day will happen, especially when we're connected to the world in our pocket. We're just constantly seeing bad news. So let's look at what does Advent have to say about shalom, peace, and our need for it, okay? And so we'll look at it under uh, these three movements. So we'll look at where are, we, where are we heading? Where are we going in terms of where is the world going? How do we get there? And what do we do in the meantime? Okay, so where are we heading? Where are we going? Uh, how do we get there, number two? And then uh, what do we do in the meantime while we wait? Sorry, I keep looking at these candles because I'm worried my, I'm going to blow them out and then just ruin Advent for everybody. <laughs> so just forgive me if, if that happens. Uh, Fortunately, I'm not like a super exuberant preacher, so maybe that'll help. Um, all right, so uh, where are we heading? Where's the world heading? And uh, we're looking at these different excerpts in Isaiah, and Isaiah lived in the 700 BC time frame, and he is addressing Israel in a time of great peacelessness. Their leaders are corrupt, there's infighting, okay, nothing new under the sun, and they're about to be dragged off into exile by an enemy empire. And so they're, they're, they're losing, and they will lose all sense of shalom. And so this is one reason why historically the church has read Isaiah a lot during Advent. It's to help us ache along with the people of God for this peace that we so badly need. And so Isaiah, he talks about this great king who's going to come to put everything right. 
And that's where he addresses the, the Prince of Peace, right? That you, that you heard in the scripture. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, or Prince of Shalom is the word that's used there. And uh, see the language. The verses should be up on the screen. See how he describes this world that this Prince of Shalom is bringing about. So chapter 9, verse 5. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Here he's describing interpersonal shalom, relational shalom. And so in other words, all the raw material used for hurt, whether it's a spear to the chest on the battlefield or barbed barbed words to the heart in a home, all of these raw materials used for hurt are going to be burned away. Okay, so people will never hurt one another again. And then if you go to chapter 11, verse 6, okay, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. So here you see shalom among creatures, between animals like lions and sheep having a party together and between people and animals like Narnia, but real. Um, We recently got a new cat in our house and he eats every human food imaginable, unless it's a vegetable. Okay, so, I mean, the other, the other day he took my ice cream. So, you could, like, me and my cat, we do not have shalom right now with, with each other, okay? So, shalom with, between creatures, right? Animals and animals, people and animals. Then chapter 35, verse 1 and 2, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy in singing. So here we see shalom within physical creation. So you get the sense when you read the scriptures, it talks about um, because, as Romans 8 put it, creation is held under bondage to decay because of sin. Like creation itself is going to come alive in ways we can't even imagine when Jesus returns to make all things new because it'll be fully at, it'll be whole with itself. And 10 or 11 years ago, I took a trip to Switzerland with one of my best friends. You can, pu- you can pull up the photo. And this was a breakfast one morning, right? So we're having coffee out here. Uh, Grindelwald, I believe, was the city. And, you know, I mean, this, you know, pixelated photo, it doesn't do justice to the, the majesty of what was in the backdrop with those, you know, three sets of mountains right there. Just inc- incredible. And creational shalom means, like, when you're in a place like this, and you're looking at the glory of creation, as you think about what it will be, you, sh- you should think something effective like, meh, that mountain's like one one-thousandth of, of the glory that it'll be one day. Yeah, that's what the world's going to be like when it comes alive in, in full splendor. And then you see here later in chapter th- 35, verse 8, verse 8 through 10, and a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The redeemed shall walk there, and the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. So you hear this picture of all the redeemed walking to Zion. This is, you know, where the people are worshiping God. So this is intimacy or shalom with God among all people groups in the world. So shalom with God. And then there's even psychological shalom. Okay, sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Okay, so we'll feel at whole within ourselves, right? our, our emotions, our identity, um, Therapy, right? A lot of the, the therapists in the DMV are going to go broke because the MVP aren't going to be racked with panic attacks and depression all the time. Okay, and so this is, this is what God is trying to, to show us when it comes to world, where the world is heading. So relational wholeness, okay? Wholeness between creatures, between physical creation itself, us and ourselves, us and God. 
And so as we look at this, it's key to, one of the things that Isaiah does for us, and then Jesus, right, we've been in Matthew this year, when Jesus comes and he talks about the kingdom of God over and over, that's his main message, the kingdom of God, he's describing, right, where he's taken the world, like total shalom, and it helps us pay attention to textures of salvation that maybe you're not accustomed to if you grew up in a, you know, highly individualistic American context, as it were, because often when we think about salvation, this was me for decades, we tend to think of it as just, oh, it's like, so I'm not going to hell, and I'm going to heaven when I die, and that's not wrong per se, but it's so incomplete, it distorts the entire gospel message, right? Because the gospel of the kingdom, okay, that Isaiah describes, that Jesus, that the whole scripture is described, it's, it's, it's highly corporate, okay? So it's total, it's all people groups, and it's, it's everything we've just been describing, right? Your, your mind will be healed, your body will come alive, creation will come alive, okay? So it'll be like, kids in the room or maybe adults too. It'll be like Christmas, like the best Christmas morning you can imagine, but rev it up times infinity. That's the new heaven and the new earth that we're heading to. And so let's think about some applications here. Okay, so what does this mean for us today as we look at where the world is heading? And for believers, if you count yourself a Christian, you follow Jesus, uh, something that was even striking me on the drive over here is, isn't our God so good that this is what he wants to do for us, right? It's not just to seize any kind of enmity between us and him, but to gift us abundantly with this new world that he's creating for us. It says a lot about his character. Um, but also for the Christian, because this is world where God's taking the world, it shows that the Christian life, it's, it's far more than just sin avoidance. Okay, I just need to stop doing the bad stuff. But it's about how do we live in such a way to bring goodness to the people around us? So when we think about questions like, should I take this job or not? Should I move here or not? Should I attend church or not? Should I attend community group or not? The, the main lens through which we view it shouldn't just be like, will this make me happy in the moment? Although that's the default, that's the natural way of, of thinking. But it's, will this bring wholeness to other people? It affects, affects quite a bit. Uh, sec- second application for if you're here, you're exploring the faith, you don't count yourself a Christian, or maybe you're, you're wrestling with a lot of doubt. This is, this is a heavier one, but I, th- I think it's really important. As you think about this trajectory of the world, right, God created everything good, Genesis 1. We broke it in our, in our rebellion to him, sin, and then, but he's restoring the world to bring it to shalom. <clears throat> Just consider if this understanding of reality makes more sense than a... I realize not everybody who's not a Christian isn't a naturalist. Okay, you could be from a different faith, right, or something else. But most common religion in America, you could say, uh, is secular humanism, right, a more naturalist view. If this biblical view makes more sense than a, than a naturalist view, and here's, here's, here's what I'm getting at, because shalom or wholeness, it's how the world is supposed to be. Okay, shalom is what's natural. Okay, violence and pain is unnatural, it's not how things are supposed to be. That's why God is restoring things. And so when you take, I mean, take any event in the news, and even just pretty recently, right, the October 7th attack on innocent civilians, or even just last week, right, the, the house exploding in Bluemont right down the street. When you read, see about those things, and your heart gets heavy or you get angry, or you get all kinds of, right, a swirling pot of emotions, 
and you're thinking something to the effect of this is wrong, right? This is not how the world is supposed to be. You're right. Okay. However, in a natural view where we just came about by chance, that is the way of things. Okay, that is how things are supposed to be. Because, right, the way of nature is violence. It's the powerful preying upon those who are less powerful. And so the, the only, and in that world as well, like human beings don't have any more dignity than fungus. They don't. Okay, it, it's only in the biblical story where God made humanity in his, in his image that makes us able to see and to treat people as persons rather than things. And so as you, as you look at these stories, I just want to invite you, challenge you maybe, to like, you just, you can't move beyond emotional preference, and, emotional preference when you say that's wrong. Okay, but I, I think there's something in you that probably, no, it's, it's more than that. There's something about that, that that's actually evil, that's objectively wrong. Okay, it's not the way things are supposed to be. So just consider maybe a, knowing the God who can align your, your emotions, your reactions with how the world actually is. Okay, and help you like have some more completion or wholeness with how you view, view the world. Just, just, a, just a challenge to you because okay, it, it really helps make sense of these things. I think a lot of you know are true. Okay, that violence isn't the way the world is supposed to be, and our God's actually doing something about it. All right, so that, that's number one. This is where we're this is where we're heading toward wholeness. Okay, where those things aren't going to happen again. So, how do we, how do we get there? How do we get there? And throughout Isaiah, it happens in a number of places, but I, I just selected one. You, you see all these places, and this happens throughout, I mean, really all through the prophets in the Old Testament, where God is pleading with his people to turn back to him. So look at this place in Isaiah 55, verse 6 to 7, for example. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. So your Isaiah is pleading with the people of Israel, the people of God, that they, they've rebelled against God, okay? And God isn't saying, I'm going to smash you. He's saying, no, turn to me, right? And, and these practices aren't just like innocent, right? They're getting involved in child sacrifice. There, there's violence among them because this is what happens when we walk away from God, when it just continues in its trajectory. And so what Isaiah is communicating here, what uh, the scriptures communicate all throughout from A to Z is that before we can have the peace of God or the peace from God, peace on earth or psychological peace, we need peace with God. And we saw this, although we didn't focus on it last week in our Romans passage in Romans chapter 5 verse 1, right? Therefore, since we have been justified by faith or brought into God's family by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we need peace with God before we can be peace from God and of God. And what this is saying is we, we can't obtain horizontal shalom, right, with other people, with creation, or, or within ourselves until we get peace with God. Because while God made humans in his image with dignity, we have all rebelled against God, right, in the ways we are indifferent to God, in the ways we view his character or, or his law through the worst possible lens, right, or just outright disobey his law, Right, we're at war with God, and actually there was a whole section here where I was like trying to, because often we hear, well, I don't really feel like, I may not believe in God, but I don't hate God. 
And there was a whole section here where I tried to like prove to you that every person is at war with God. I cut it out. It's family worship, trying to make it a little shorter. If you'd like to talk about that, like I've never felt like I'm at war with God. Happy to discuss that further. Okay, but so we're all at war with God, and when that happens, we get fracture. And so just think about if, um, and there are a lot of examples you could use to communicate this. So think about our solar system. If all the planets, right, because sin at its heart is wanting to be at the center of the universe instead of God. So imagine if all the planets, one day they're orbiting around the sun, they're like, you know what, sun? forget you. I'm tired of you just wanting to be at the center of everything. I'm going to make my own orbit, and I'm going to do what I want. We would have not shalom, okay? We, we wouldn't be here <laughs> right now if that happened, right? Because when what should be at the center is not at the center, you have chaos and breakdown. And so that's why the world is so broken, because we should be orbiting our lives around God and his beauty, but we don't. We want to orbit around ourselves and our self-centeredness. That's why you get violence in the home, violence at war, all those things. And so anytime you have a war, when there is a war between two parties, there has to be a party who's going to say, all right, I'm going to lay down my sword first and be vulnerable with you to initiate peace. Okay, when Kelsey and I went through pre-marriage counseling, this is something our pre-marriage counselor told us, he's like, you guys are in engaged bliss right now. You guys are going to get to points where you really dislike each other. And you're going to feel like, I can't lay down my sword for an arrogance, or maybe because if I do, I'm now exposing myself before the other person, and they could use that opportunity to wound me. And what we, what we have in the gospel is God doesn't hold back waiting for us to lay down our sword, okay? But instead, he makes the first move to lay down his sword. And here in Isaiah chapter 53, another common Advent reading Verse 5, we hear he's prophesying about Jesus. Okay, he's going to bear our griefs, verse 4, carry our sorrows. And then verse 5, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him, Jesus, was the chastisement that brought us peace. And so what Jesus does is, uh, he is living in shalom, right, in heaven. And he, he leaves shalom and he, he comes into the world to take upon his, his body in his mind to feel all the brokenness of the world that we feel. And then it's at the, it's at the cross where he has utter, the utter, I mean, take whatever the best shalom is. It was, it was not that in Gethsemane and then at the cross. It was, it was hell. And he does it to take on the consequence we deserve for our enmity to lay down his sword and lay himself bare so that, this is, that's his first advent, so that when he comes in his second advent, his second coming, to usher in shalom and remove all evil, he won't be meeting you, if you trust your life to him, he won't be meeting you as an enemy to be removed, but as a child to be brought home. And, and that's, how, that's how we enter into this shalom. And this doesn't remove human action. Uh, in fact, it increases the need for it because now if this is a, where eternity is heading, like what you do in your relationships, what we do for justice, how we care about events in the world, it actually matters because this is where the world is heading and our actions actually have eternal significance. Okay, so it's profound motivation in, in the present as well. Okay, and God invites us to co-labor with him to bring about shalom in the world. And so now, okay, so that's how we get there. W- what do we do in the meantime Say so step one would be, I mean, enter into peace with God if, if you haven't. Okay, and then once you're in, once you're in peace with God, uh, just two things here. Number one, once you're at peace with God is rehearse the gospel story 
Okay, if you're wondering, wasn't this an application last week? Yes, it was an application last week. I'm only so creative. <laughs> but these two, are very, these two are very tied together. Okay, so because in our natural temperament and everything we read and hear, right, all throughout the week, we're going to just continue to drift away from the real story of the world and where our ultimate hope and peace is found. And we're going to want to find another thing. So we need to rehearse the gospel story in corporate worship, right, on our own, in the scriptures and in prayer, around tables throughout the week. And I wanted to encourage especially those of you, so last week we were talking about this concept with hope, and hope is, it's imagining a future that's better than now, and that's also why we need to rehearse the gospel story. There are some of you here who, I mean, you are dealing with such profound lack of peace, okay, with mental illness, or deep relational pain, or physical illness. And when you're dealing with one of these three, imagining a future that's better than it that's better than now, it's really hard because the future is always lying to you and your present is everything. And so I just for those of you who this like this is you, just some kind of deep pain, and yet you continue to come to worship and come to group and come to meet with people, to reach, the, to rehearse the gospel story. I just want to say I have so much respect for you. I want to say you're, you are such a model to everybody else in this church about what it means to hold to Jesus and his gospel, even when you may really not want to. And so, well done, and I have so much to learn from you. Okay, so that, that's the first thing, Re- rehearse the gospel story. And guys, if you're not in a season of like more acute, acute pain, look to those, else, the others in our church who model this really, really well. Number two is just ask the question, like, how can you bring, how can you be a shalom bringer in the power of the Holy Spirit in your relationships? Okay, and so it's the, because if our life is not just to be pursuing our own happiness, but to seek the well-being and wholeness of other people, it's, it's the difference between, say, a dad who he works really hard, he makes a lot of money, he cares, his family has a roof, his children have tuition covered for, you know, they don't have to worry about being on the streets. But, you know, he works long hours, he's not home that often, and when he is home, he's, he just kind of wants to do his own thing. Like, he's not yelling at his kids or his family, but he's just kind of checked out, right? Maybe he's on his phone, he's watching sports all the time, or he's just, he just wants to do his own thing. You compare that, right, where that's, that's like the absence of conflict toward a dad who he cuts his workday off at a reasonable time. When he's home, he's home. His phone is away for hours at a time. And he, he's on the floor reading with his kids. He's initiating doing chores that his wife hates just to take care of him. Like, those are two very different households. And so in our lives, we, just, we have to think through, like, where can we move from just neutrality Right, I'm just going to like not be a mean person, but actually contributing toward the wholeness of other people. And so, you know, there are a number of applications the Holy Spirit may lay on your heart in terms of how you can do that. I mean, it can be as simple as just reaching out to that coworker that you find kind of annoying, or right, actually just engaging with them to, to love them or, or care for them. Okay, maybe this starts in your home. It, it could be a step as simple but as hard as there's someone in your life and you know who it is, you need to initiate and go to them and just be like, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm re- I've, I've been wrong and I'm really sorry. Will you forgive me and, and help me? 
change. Will you help me change? And it, it could be if there's an actual, like, the other in your life or someone you dislike. And how can you bring shalom or wholeness into that relationship, right? Because shalom, it's more than just peacekeeping, where I'm just not going to create conflict, but peacemaking, where you actually may create some friction in order to, as much as it depends on you, as Paul writes in the New Testament, to, to form peace. And I was struck by this as I, so I uh, heard about this organization called the Parent Circle, and it's, uh, it's, it's an organization, and maybe some of you have heard of it, and uh, I think it's based out of Bethlehem in Israel, Palestine, and it's a group for bereaved parents from, from each side, Palestine and Israel, who they've lost a, a child. They've lost a child due to them being killed by the other side. And it's a group for parents to come together and hear each other's stories and actually talk with one. It's really powerful. And I heard this one story of a, an Israeli mother and a Palestinian father who they got together and they went through, every parent describes this as excruciating. And they, they went through the excruciating process of listening to the other person's story and learning to validate their pain okay, and see where they, they may have a just grievance in there. And they shared that as they went through this, what it did was, because often when we experience pain, we immediately begin to just automatically exclude. Like there's no room for the other person, right? There's no room for the other perspective that led to our pain. They, they, they share how they've been leading, they, they've been learning to use their pain in their story so that it's not automatically excluding those on the other side. And it just, this is so much like Jesus, right? Who's willing to actually bear pain and exercise humility and patience with all of us who are his enemies in order to love us. Although in this case, he he never did anything wrong. And so for you, I mean, this is an, this is an extreme example. One, I encourage you just to show you that like things like this are happening. Okay, and this is, a, this is an echo of the gospel. And while your situation may not be that extreme, just what are ways, like who is the other in your life that maybe you need to humanize a little bit by hearing their story? And I think about, for me, just a small example, but I hope it somehow encourages you. Is so, I, so when we get together with our extended family, uh, I, it hit me a little while ago that I was, when I get to the, my extended family, and some of you may know how this is, like there are people in my family that I just, I click with, it's easy to laugh with, it's, we, you know, we can jab each other, be super sarcastic, just have a great time. And there are other people in my extended family, yeah, just not that easy. And so when we get together, I, you know, oh, hey, how's it going? And then you'd very quickly like circle the wagons with my favorite people and just pray for the end time to happen. And not the end times, the end time of the, of, of the gathering. <laughs> and so not, not that long ago, we were with our extended family, and there's this one guy in particular in our family who, like, he's never mistreated me, but he and I could not be any more different. And, like, I've tried before, just so, so many things about it. Just, we do not na naturally jive. And sitting there, like, one of the occupational hazards of being a pastor is you realize, like, I, I have to, I can't even begin to shepherd people in this way if I don't begin to practice it. So, I was like, all right, I have to grow here. So, you know, we all just finished a meal, and it would have been very easy to me to go, like, you know, play video games with uh, my, my brothers-in-law and my family, just have a great, but he was sitting by himself at a table. And so I just sat down across him, I was like, oh, how's this going to go? And I just very awkwardly tried to initiate conversation, and just to, like, hear his story, 
And as he began to speak, he shared with me, so he has MS. And in his case, you know, multiple sclerosis. And with, with this case, he described his condition as most days. It's as if he has barbed wire around his body. Like that's his level of pain. And what he does in his free time is, so he has a full-time job, but in his free time, he travels the country and he finds other people who've gotten recent MS diagnoses. I think he was in his early 30s when he got his. And he says that suicide ideation skyrockets when you get that diagnosis. So he goes around to people who've been recently diagnosed just to try to speak hope into their life so they can hear from him who who he knows what it's like and to tell them, like, you can have hope and here's how and just sit with them and and cry with them. And and he he shared with me some of the, the incredible emails and text messages he's gotten from people like their lives were saved because of him. And then he, he looked at me and he said, you know, I know that he was just like, forgive me if I'm overstepping, but I know your wife Kelsey is in a lot of pain a lot and no pressure, but if she ever just wants a listening, you know, I don't even have to say anything, but I'm, here's my number and she can give me a call. And I share this because so sometimes when you go to try to bring shalom to someone who's not natural to you, it doesn't always go well. Uh, sometimes it does, and you do bring wholeness to them, but also sometimes you find that they bring wholeness to you, as Christ our Savior does. Let's pray.